You are entering the Freedom Hut. It's a Freestyle Friday on the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. We have Raheem Kassam up in the house. Dr. Sebastian Gorka joining us to talk about the Saudi situation and much more. And also our friend Sagar and Jetty from The Daily Caller. That and all the latest from today coming up. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Still up 40% for the period of time. So, I mean, the markets are way up over what they were. It's a correction that I think is uh, caused by the Federal Reserve with interest rates. Uh, The dollar has become very strong, which, frankly, uh, people can debate whether or not they like a strong dollar or not. The Fed is out of control. I think what they're doing is wrong. Uh, Under the Obama administration, you had a lot of help because they had very little interest. So far, I like every one of them. I just hope they stay healthy. And I hope they fight it out, and any one of them I'd like. I mean, I just hope that we don't get any star or good thinker coming out of nowhere, because I see everyone that's talking about it. You look at Booker, you look at Biden. I mean, how about Elizabeth Warren? She faked her heritage for years. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Freestyle Friday is upon us. Got a couple of threads coming together here. It's very interesting dynamics I wanted to discuss with you here on this this uh, most excellent Friday. It's a beautiful day here in D.C. I, this is my favorite weather. When you just kind of want a light sweater, you know, I'm a sweater guy. I like or a sweatshirt. That's on the weekends. Uh, you know, I, D.C. makes me sweat too much. A lot of sweating going on in D.C., which I don't like. So it's just a beautiful day here. Hopefully it's, uh, you know, wherever you're listening to the show, hopefully, hopefully it's things are okay. I know we just had part of the country get really, really hit badly by a uh, by a storm. So thoughts and prayers to those who are uh, trying to deal with the uh, aftermath of that hurricane. Uh, but it's been a really interesting week, to be sure. A lot of things going on in politics. Trump is still the leader of the Republican Party. Let's just take a step back and take stock of where we are right now. We're getting close to the two-year mark here of the Trump presidency. I mean, in a few months, it's going to be here. You've got the midterms staring us right in the face, just a few weeks out. And I think that there is a an increasing, I, I've referred to it before as a quiet panic, but it's no longer quiet. And that's what's really pushing a lot of this mob mentality. You know, the mobs that are out there. Why do we have so many people that are trying to defend this notion or trying, trying to dispel this notion of the leftist mob? Why do we hear that that's a term we shouldn't use? Well, because they don't want enough Americans to catch on to the truth. There's been a bump this week in polling for GOP senators. Those GOP senators are in better shape now than before, and it's because of what happened with Kavanaugh. And this was that unknowable at the time. This was that one point that people were debating, which is if Kavanaugh gets through, does that mean that you're only going to have enthusiasm on the left and nothing on the right when it comes to you know, get out the vote effort, right? When it comes to enthusiasm or really rage uh, with regard to this whole process, you know, that's 
that's something that nobody could really know. That's something that nobody was able to to figure out until now what it looks like. Oh, that's right. That televised ritualized torture session of Brett Kavanaugh on national TV turns out Republicans haven't forgotten about that. And it turns out it was a reminder of what we face on the left. But I think that the Kavanaugh debacle for the left was really just, in a sense, the last straw. That has pushed them over the edge, but they were already heading in that direction. And these, these symptoms of the mass delusion of leftists that are manifesting themselves with these ma- uh, masses and these mobs coming together and screaming and yelling and this mob mentality, right? And, and the really the lack of ability on the media's part to set the narrative the way they want to and their rage, which comes out now more on air. I think it's because they realize Trump is winning. He's still winning. They haven't been able to take him out of office with this Russia collusion investigation nonsense. They haven't been able to sink him with Republicans or, you know, anybody who's persuadable, anybody who's open minded about this with all the different allegations of the 25th Amendment and uh, the investigations of his finances. I mean, the New York Times did, I think it was a 12,000 word essay on Trump's taxes stretching back to his father's tax paying practices in the 70s. I think there's some stuff about even the 60s in there. I mean, they, they went way, way deep into his. And I read this piece. I thought to myself, this is this is kind of like the scene in John Nash or that John Nash has in A Beautiful Mind when he's got all the crazy writing on the wall, all this stuff, all the formulas on the wall. And, you, and then you realize, oh, well, this person has a problem. The media has a problem. Trump maybe has caused it, but they're the ones with the problem. They are no longer objective in all of this. And now it looks very likely that the Republicans are going to keep the Senate and they have a fighting chance. And people are saying it's a 25% chance. I'm telling you, I think it's more like 50-50 right now that the GOP can hold the House. And what will liberals say then? And they they really going to all of a sudden you know, d- discover that, oh, Russia manipulated this election too. Is that going to be the play? It might be, but I don't think they have any real belief that that will will stick, that that will work. What do they tell themselves now? I know that they comfort themselves with the constant refrain of Trump is a racist, Trump is a a sexist, a sexual assaulter, a a traitor, a crazy person, all these, they say all these things. But what do they tell themselves about the politics of this country when the president that they say is the worst president of all time, which is a pretty common thing you, you'll hear on the left, the worst president of all time, unfit for office, should be removed from office because of his, his temperament and his judgment and the way that he is doing his job. They say he should be removed for that reason. And it turns out he's doing a really good job. The economy is kicking butt. And I'm hearing from a lot of people who know, and this is their life's work is to study this, that even though there's this sense right now of, oh, maybe we have what Greenspan would have called irrational exuberance of, oh, my gosh, things are so great. They're just going to keep getting better and better. Some people have that. A lot of people have the, oh, it must get worse. It must get get worse. But they've been saying 
that it should get worse for the last 18 months, and it hasn't. So what do they tell themselves? What do they come away with? And this then brings me to the outrage mobs, Antifa and the, uh, you know, the, the, the women's march screechers and the anti-Kavanaugh hordes and the, the stalkers, because that's really what we're talking about. The stalkers who are activists that try to find Republicans to harass them, to frighten them, to scare them. Although we had a Republican who put a buck slap on some hallway stalkers today. We'll get to him later. Big high five. But this is increasingly looking like the left is going to have to live in Trump's America for many, many years to come. And I don't know how they're going to to handle that. I don't know how they're going to deal with it. This is why I've been so worried recently about the possibility of real violence. Because they've already gone to the mat. They've already taken the dial to 11. They are doing everything, everything conceivable in terms of propaganda and organizing and media effort. And they're doing everything they can to stop this political movement that Trump is a part of from, from reaching its, its intended goals, from doing what it has set out to do from the beginning. And they can't stop it. And I think that what's set in with many of them is it's not just a, a panic, but also a sense of helplessness. I mean, the left must be telling themselves, we thought we were going to get this guy gone with the Mueller probe. We thought we were going to get this guy gone with any number of different ploys. And if we couldn't at least get him gone, at least we could we could stop him and have you know Americans turn on him and have his base turn on him. And the opposite is happening. I am more confident in this president and what he is doing and his, yes, his message as well as his policies with each passing month. What does that mean for the left? How do they try to rebound from this? How do they try to come up with some counter narrative? I don't hear it yet. All I hear is rage and noise and anger. And if this continues on, if they don't have any real counterpoint or counterpunch for what Trump is doing, I worry about what their next move will be because I know this, it will not be rational and it will not be in the best interests of this country. That we know for sure. I, I tend to think that we could be facing some kind of October surprise along the lines of what they did with Kavanaugh at the very end of that nomination process. It's not enough that they don't have anything. They'll manufacture something. They will create whole cloth, some means of trying to take, take the, the Trump administration down a few notches, at least enough that they have a successful midterm election. I mean, I can't tell you I know what it is. I don't. But I get the feeling that they must be cooking something up because they, they never give you any sense, despite the economy as strong as it is, despite all of the different things you could point to that, that has happened in the last 18 months. That's just good for America, period. They never are reflective on the situation in an honest way. It's always Trump lied, Trump cheated, Trump is a liar and a cheat, why haven't we seen his taxes? He groped women without their consent. Why does he have, you know, such tan skin and, and this crazy orange hair and all this other, or, you know, blonde hair? All, they, they just hate him so much. They don't look at this for what it really is. And I do think that the, the rage mobs are angrier than ever because they are a reaction to Trump's success. They would like you to believe that they are 
an opposition force. They are hashtag resistance. They stand athwart Trump. But that's only part of the story. The other part of it is that they are now inflicted with self-doubt. They won't talk about it. They won't share it with you. But how could they not be? This was the man they said was incapable of leading, incapable of running the federal government, incapable of being a successful president. And he is blowing away the critics right now. That's got to be a strange place for them to be. They're obviously not adjusting well to it. They've been sore losers from the start. But now, I think that Trump is living rent-free in their heads in a way that it's just going to get worse for them. And I don't know where it goes. But if they if they don't take at least the House, and I'm, t- I'm telling you that because of what happened with Kavanaugh, I'm starting to feel like maybe we could pull out a surprise here. Even the, you know, the pollsters over at, uh, you know, 528 or 538 or whatever it's called, you know, they're saying, I think, about a 25 or 30% chance that Republicans hold the House. That's not nothing. I think it's a little higher than that, too. But we shall see. 844-900-2825. 844-900-BUCK. We have a ruckus show here in the Freedom Hub. We're going to have my, my buddy Raheem Kassam join to talk about just what's top of mind with him in this week in politics. We've also got Dr. Sebastian Gorka. I wanted to get a whole bunch of my... Uh, my favorite guests in on the line here. So we got Dr. Sebastian Gorka joining. Uh, we also have Sagar Jetty, really, really uh, great up-and-coming uh, political reporter. He's the White House reporter for The Daily Caller. He's going to be shedding some light on the whole Kanye phenomenon this week. And we got a lot of things. also want to hear from you. 844-900-BUCK. We'll be right back. Many of you have been praying for this day. I want to thank you. I know the pastor and his entire family want to thank you as well. And, of course, a huge thank you to the president and his team for securing the release of Andrew Brunson. From Turkey, he's, uh, I think, in good shape. He'll be stopping most likely in Germany for a full checkup. And then he's going to be coming to the Oval Office, most likely on Saturday. But we're very honored to have him back with us. He, uh, he suffered greatly, uh, but we're very appreciative to a lot of people, a lot of people. So Pastor Brunson's in the air, heading to Germany and then coming to the U.S. He'll be landing on Saturday, most likely Saturday in D.C. Another diplomatic victory for the Trump administration. U.S. pastor Andrew Brunson has been freed from a Turkish prison where he spent almost two years serving time there um, and uh, related to charges having to do with terrorism and espionage. This has become a major diplomatic dispute between Turkey, which is increasingly trending under Erdogan's government away from its relationship with the U.S. It's still an ally, but it's getting more and more tense with time. But this was a major diplomatic spat, and sure enough, the Trump administration, its diplomats, uh, were able to get him out. And he should be home in a in a matter of, of hours now. So uh, Trump tweeted out today, my thoughts and prayers are with Pastor Brunson. We hope to have him safely back home soon. He's going to stop in Germany, as you heard there. So th- this is, yet again, what we've been told all along that Trump would not be able to accomplish, that he would not be adept in this area which is international affairs and the people say oh buck it wasn't him it was other he the buck stops with him 
Okay, he is the commander in chief. He's the president. And when things like this happen, high level U.S. government negotiations end in this kind of desirable outcome. You have to be willing to say, okay, we we give the president some credit for this one. Um, We give the president credit. And, And then there's also what's been going on recently with China. Here's Larry Kudlow. Play 14. I just would hope that President Xi would show greater appreciation for the asks that President Trump has been making uh, with regard to closed markets, uh, with regard to uh, IP theft, with regard to forced transfer of technology. There are structural issues, technology issues. We're not going to give away the family jewels. There's no reciprocity on trading and tariffs. So there's a whole menu of things, and I hope they get around to talking about it. And Perhaps the Chinese will be a little more um, cooperative. You know, with that whole menu of things, by the way, that Kudlow brings up, those have been problems for, for decades. But other administrations didn't even try to fix those problems. Other administrations just allowed them to continue on. Why? Oh, we, we, we can't mess with China. Someone give us a reason for that. What's the explanation for why we can't mess with China? They're not Texas, right? Don't mess with Texas. Uh, suffering in silence was the better option. No, Trump is taking on that, uh, taking on that whole slew of problems. And Kudlow is right. You know, the Chinese government needs to be brought into line here. And it's going to require some pushing. It's not an easy thing to do, but Trump is taking on things that he knows are important without regard to, well, is this the simplest route? Obama showed us what eight years of sitting back, relaxing, and not really doing very much and thinking you're brilliant for that uh, when it comes to foreign policy. He, he showed us what that results in on the world scene. You know, it was a lot of strategic patience leading from behind, a lot of fancy ways of saying, Don't make any decisions. Just focus on the process. Lots and lots of process. Lots of talking. Well, turns out that if you are willing to tackle hard problems and make tough decisions, you can accomplish things in the world stage. That's the Trump approach on the economy, on foreign policy. It's just the Trump approach in general. You could almost say identifying a problem and taking action to fix it is the Trump doctrine. When uh, the Steele dossier comes out sometime early July, when did you personally learn about the memos in the dossier? Sometime in the fall. I don't remember exactly when. You're talking fall of... Fall, I'm sorry, fall of 16. Right. So who told you about them? I don't remember. Someone on my senior staff. Do you remember how they were described? I remember they briefed me about it, explained that it came from a reliable source. Well, it seems ridiculous that I'd have to do it when everybody says there's no collusion, but I'll do what is necessary to get it over. They've spent tens of millions of dollars doing this, and it's a disgrace. And on top of that, you have committees in, in, the, House, in the Senate and the House. You take a look at what they've done. They've done, they've interviewed everybody that you could imagine you could interview, and then Richard Burr stands up a few days ago and says, we found absolutely no collusion. And it's no different, there is no collusion. But it should end, because it's bad for the country. And when you talk about division in the country, it's bad for the country. When is this farce, but also this ongoing nightmare, uh, this bureaucratic machinery of destruction known as the uh, the Mueller probe when is it going to end i know it's not going to be before the election but i certainly hope it ends within weeks after the election i i do have concerns they're going to stretch this thing into 2019 
but I, I just would love to think that enough people have been paying attention and realized what a scam this whole thing is. I mean, what a deep state, soft coup, disgraceful pile of garbage, this whole effort to stop and undermine and remove all of these things President Trump has been. You know, there was a story, there was something that I didn't get a chance to tell you about earlier in the week, the Mueller probe. Here's the kind of stuff we actually get from this ongoing, you know, national debacle of the Mueller probe. Quote, a California man ensnared in special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russia's election interference was sentenced on Wednesday to six months in prison, six months of home detention, two years of release. Richard Penedo pleaded guilty to one count of identity fraud seven months ago and cooperated with government investigators in the case against the Internet Research Agency, the Russian troll farm accused of interfering in the 2016 presidential election. Judge Dabney Friedrich handed down his sentence in federal court in Washington, D.C. Pinedo is a minor player in the investigation. Um, Pinedo has no connection to the Trump campaign, but ran a firm called Auction Assistance that helped individuals circumvent security features of online payment companies. He generated between forty and ninety-five thousand dollars by acquiring and selling bank account information. He has admitted to using stolen identities to set up bank accounts that were later used by Russians. So, you know, I mean, this guy, this guy had nothing to do with. I mean, look, he's a petty criminal. Nothing to do with Russia collusion. Nothing to do with working with the Kremlin. And these are the kind of people who get caught up in this. We got Penedo, Papadopoulos, Alex Vanderswan. None of these people had anything to do with Russia collusion. And yet we sit here and wait for this final report to give us the, 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 the end state outcome of this Mueller probe. What a mess. What a total mess. I mean, I can say this to bring us back to what we we're discussing earlier in the hour. Under any normal circumstances of the American electorate, judging this president on the merits of his presidency and therefore the party he leads, the Republican Party, by how things are going and basing their votes upon that by any objective criteria that we can point to. The country is better off now than it was a couple of years ago. Trump is a more effective commander-in-chief than Obama was. The economy is growing more rapidly and has more more headroom, more room to grow even further because of what has been done, because of the tax cuts, the deregulation. And yet, what has been the focus this whole time? It's not that the Democrats have been making these earnest appeals about how they would better run the economy. All they do is try to tear down. They just play the politics of the attack dog all the time. They don't offer up creative solutions. They don't. What they offer you is more constant nonsense about the Mueller probe what they offer is a a continued national conversation on whether or not you know there's something in Trump's tax returns from 15 years ago that would be oh so bad they really have nothing and that's what I think is getting them so worried right now they just don't have anything to point to and say see we we've got this we we can actually make your lives better. All they can say is Trump is so terrible that anything would be better than him. By the way, who was it today? Uh, Robert De Niro was saying that uh, Beto is, Beto O'Rourke in Texas is going to be able to beat Trump. Man, I, I hope they try that. Yeah, 
run a socialist who like lies about his first name to seem you know more diverse uh, run a socialist and and see how that goes for you that's really what they want though they want somebody who's a young bernie sanders that is what the democrat that's where the democrat party is right now and you know i i worry about this because right now the country at least half the country is pretty sober-minded about what's going on and what's possible what's plausible if we have that big economic, even if it's just cyclical, and that's just the reality of having the Fed so involved in our monetary policy, running up these massive debts, even if there is a cyclical shift in the economy and there's just a downturn, uh, and, and if it happens in a certain period of time, you know, that's when all of a sudden I get worried that you could have a moment in time where, look, it happened with Barack Obama. Barack Obama was basically the most far-left senator in the United States Senate. And was able to win the presidency. No small part of that was people were feeling economic pain. They were scared. And the Democrats were demagoguing the crap out of the issue. But that could happen again. So while I look at Beto and, and, his, uh, and his sort of fellow travelers in the Democrat Party. See what I did there? Uh, now, I think that they're not really a, th a threat to beating Trump. But if we don't pay attention to the long game with the economy, they could be. And that, that keeps me up a little bit at night. That, that gets me worried. But uh, we've got a lot more, team. Be right back. Okay, so we got somebody joining now who has an inside track on what's been going on in the White House all week, or really all year. He is the Daily Caller's White House reporter. Sagar and Jetty is with us now. He also is a fantastic uh, guest host of the wonderful program known as RisingOnHill.TV. Mr. Sagar, great to have you, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Buck. You're too kind. So, so tell me what happened this week, my man. It, it was a little crazy with Kanye and stuff, but we had Nikki Haley bow out. Let, let, let's start with Nikki Haley because that's actually on the, on the policy side of things. Who do we think? What have we been told? Who's going to replace her? And what are people saying? Lots of moving parts, Buck. So Nikki's replacement or Nikki's announcement really did come out of left field at the top of the week on Monday. We were all absolutely shocked. And what's crazy is that the fight to replace her began pretty much the second afterwards. My phone was already ringing with oppo on some of the latest candidates opposition research on, uh, on some of their backgrounds but what's most interesting is that the prime candidate dina powell who used to work on the national security council has told the president that she does not want the job she wants to remain at goldman sachs that really blew the field wide open and so now we've got a lot of different names are being thrown out there we've got the u.s ambassador to canada we've got the current u.s ambassador to germany rick, rick grinnell but we know that the president loved having a woman in that job and that he's leaning towards something like that. He could even go completely out of left field and go from the private sector or within his administration. So I don't even have there's 10 or 15 names that are floating out there and everything is very fluid as the as the, the race continues. But we've been told, I believe, by Ivanka herself via tweet, right, that she is not in the running because <laughs> the, the, the White House does not want to deal with the uh, allegations of nepotism. Yeah, that's right. The president said he would love to put her in charge. He would absolutely love uh, to give her the job, but that he can already, uh, I think he said he could already hear the cries of nepotism if he were to do so. So he's not going to be doing that. So, you know, Ivanka's probably not going to be doing the job. As far as I know, she really likes what she's doing uh, in D.C. already. She's working on family policy and on child policy and stuff like that. And she's doing a pretty good job. So, She's, she's staying put for now, unless he changes his mind, which he does all the time. 
<laughs> yeah, I've I've noticed that yeah. that the president uh, you don't always know exactly <laughs> where he stands on something until he actually stands on it. Uh, tell me, tell me what's what's the aftermath like in the White House with the Kanye visit? Obviously, a tremendous amount of, of news coverage. I've I've never seen so many people doing psychiatric uh, analysis with with no degree in psychiatry, never meeting Kanye, but just watching this on the news. You got a lot of analysts talking about this one. Did the White House feel like this was a, a pretty big success, all things considered? So the White House staffers, I mean, the ones who are most concerned with policy are all obviously a bit annoyed by it because they they're saying, you know, why is the president? detracting away from his great week with Brett Kavanaugh. But the ones who are a bit more culturally attuned know that, you know, more Americans saw that clip with Kanye than anything else. At the end of the day, you know, if, if you were to go around and, and ask somebody, you know, at Universal Studios, like they used to do to you on, on, on late night shows, and be like, who's Brett Kavanaugh? Most people are not going to be able to tell you. But I guarantee you people saw that clip with Kanye West. So from the president's perspective, he's using the star power of Kanye in order to talk about, you know, talk about criminal justice reform. It really was kind of a kind of a hilarious moment in the Oval Office, although it, it was funny to be behind the scenes. I was in the, at the White House while all that was occurring, and I saw that the pool, the, the select group of reporters that day come out from the Oval Office, and they were just, I mean, they were blown away. You could see it on their face. They were just Saying this was wild. And one of the camera guys told me that in the 30 years that he's covered the White House, 30 years day to day, he'd never seen anything like it. I can believe that. <laughs> I think that's probably <laughs> I think that's probably a, a safe bet. Uh, what are we expecting tonight? Uh, Trump's out in Ohio. I mean, he's he's kind of the secret weapon on the campaign trail for the GOP heading into the midterms, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, the the amount of coverage and scrutiny that his rallies get it's just an automatic boon to any candidate who is running. Because people have actually told me before, other campaigns, that one of the things they love about when the president comes is you get national TV coverage. You know, when is the net last time that a, you know, some House candidate in a Ohio 6 is going to be getting, you know, ma major Fox News viewership and, and the president directly plugging him? It helps with their donations. It helps with their brand awareness. It's free media. It's one of those things that the president... Uh, the president loves doing and relishes using the bully pulpit to push candidates. In terms of what he's going to say, I have a pretty good idea. You know, he, he's been having the same campaign rally now for basically the last two weeks, almost every single night. He's got one tonight. He's got one tomorrow night. He's had one, I think, five nights prior. And it's it just it's a it's an hour long. It's raucous. He talks about the flag. He talks about his record, North Korea. He loves to bring people inside the room. And it's just it's a very high energy environment. Yeah, I've certainly picked up that there is no low energy Jeb vibe at the Trump rallies. That is <laughs> that is absolutely the case. Uh, what, what are we what are we expecting, by the way, on, on the policy side for, for next week? Is there anything that 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 you think is going to get up on the radar, either from the White House side or do, do we know if they're really going to redact or unredact rather some of those documents? And Trump talked about that. Anything that we should be prepared for this coming week? You know, I, I, I don't think that there's much that we should look for just because lawmakers are all out on the campaign trail. They were desperate that last, last night to push through those judicial nominations so that the Senate could go home. Everybody's focused on reelection. That being said, uh, you know, in terms of unredactions, that's something I, you know, I've been asking a lot of questions about at the White House. You asked the president, the president about that, right? I mean, you asked him about the redactions in the Oval. 
Yes, absolutely. I, I asked him the week before you did, I think. And, and, and I, you know, that's something that we've both been interested in. But the issue is that he has, he has kicked the issue over to the inspector general. And I asked Sarah Sanders about that in the last press briefing that we had, and she refused to commit to a timeline of before the midterms. So for now, I don't think we're going to be seeing anything in terms of those unredacted documents. And I really don't expect, you know, knowing the inspector general Horowitz, he, he is, is very, uh, He's very cognizant of, of dropping things in politically sensitive times, and he does take quite a long time in order to do these reviews. So it, it's probably not coming anytime soon. What's the best part of being a White House correspondent, being in the White House all day, Sager? No, the best part is just being able to see, I mean, you, to be there up front, to, to, to get yelled at by Kid Rock like we were yesterday. Uh, so so one, of our, one of our colleagues, we, we were just standing there. I mean, you're, you're standing there waiting for these people to come in. You shout questions at them. And uh, somebody asked him, they're like, Mr. Rock, which I thought it was funny they called him Mr. Rock. And he said, Mr. Rock, are you going to fire, or do you think Trump should fire Jeff Sessions? He said, he should fire all of you before he walked. That's amazing. So By the way, it, you know, usually as a, as, a, as a New Yorker and as a journalist, I feel like you've always got to take the, um, you know, act like you've been there before attitude to all things. So I, I would very rarely be like, oh, here's a here's a person of, of prominence. Let me take a selfie with him. I would judge no one for going up to Kid Rock and being like, can I have a selfie? Because it's Kid Rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's like that's it's day to day stuff. It's, you know, oh, Jim Brown is here. Kid Rock is here. Uh, you know, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski. Or you get to meet people and talk to people that you, you never in your wildest dreams would be able to. And then at the on the other hand, you also get to talk to the president of the United States and you get to ask him questions on the most consequential issues of the day. So it's This it's has got to be the most fun president in all history to get to have a conversation with. I mean, I know you were in the Oval recently, I was in the Oval recently. Right. Recently, it's the it's like the Trump show. You really don't interview him so much as you try to guide this this one-man phenomenon as he is speaking. <laughs> yeah, he really is a force of nature. And and it's like he said you 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 you'll throw something out there and he'll lash onto it and then he'll he'll flip it around 360 degrees and then go another 180 in another direction and you you try and flip in 90 to a little bit of where you want to go and you just see what it gives you and that that really is exactly how you say it it's it's we we love to talk you know in the press it's it's just one of those things where you can always get an honest answer out of Trump it, it's it's hilarious i think yesterday or two days ago somebody asked him and said, sir, have you talked to the Saudis about, you know, this current situation with this, this missing journalist, probably murdered journalist? And he, he just said, I don't want to say, but yes. And then, and then he just kept going. And said, well, <laughs> said, well, you know, who did you talk to? He said, I don't want to say, but at a very, very high level. And he just starts going into all of the, the discussion there. He's, he's the most, you know, what you see on TV is absolutely what you get in person. Yeah. I mean, but one th can you do me one favor, Sagar? Can you spread the word over at the Daily Caller, where you are the White House correspondent, that Buck Sexton has an open challenge to anyone on your ping pong table? There can only be one, and I think I will come out of the octagon the victor. Okay, yeah, I'll spread that word. It's definitely not going to be me. I'm terrible. But I, oh, okay. I think we have a few champs that we can put up against. You, you, you tell your Daily Caller ping pong champions that, that the ping pong champion at thehill.com wants a piece, all right? You spread the word. All right. All right, we'll All right man. Sagar, good work as always. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Buck. Check out Sagar's latest at DailyCaller.com team. Quick break. We'll be right back. 
Hey, team, one of the things that makes this show so special is the exchange of information that we have day in and day out. I get to talk to you, you email, you call in, you write to me, and that means that we're constantly learning from each other and we're also able to share our conservative values and spread all kinds of ideas. But you don't want to be locked out from social media sites for doing just that. If you want a social media site that doesn't have any of the left-wing bias, none of those, quote, conversational health moderators, none of that stuff, Snippy.com is for you. Snippy.com is a totally new, totally free social media platform. It allows you to connect with other people, post whatever you want, and it's a place where you can enjoy freedom of expression without suppression from administrators. It's a place where discussion is valued and a place where your opinion matters. Snippy.com, free to join for all. Set up your account today. S-N-I-P-P-Y.com. Again, that's S-N-I-P-P-Y, Snippy.com. And so Kanye West is what happens when Kanye West is what happens when Negroes don't read. Um, and, and we have this now, and now Donald Trump is going to use it and pervert it, and he's going to have somebody who can stand with him and take pictures. <laughs> Just looking at Scott's face. Scott's like, whoa, okay. So, <laughs> it's a Chris Rock reference, by the way, Scott. <laughs> go, go back and watch the old Chris Rock stand-ups from the 90s. Uh, maybe I will look that up. I know that. All right, listen. Maybe it'll work, Tara. Will it? I don't know. Work for who? <laughs> it's not going to work in the black community. Listen, black folks are about to trade Kanye West in the racial draft. Okay, they've had it with him. There, I have no animosity for um, Kanye West. I'm just going to be honest, and I may get in a lot of trouble for it. I feel actually feel bad for him. What I saw was a minstrel show today. Him in front of all of these white people, mostly white people, embarrassing himself and embarrassing Americans, but mostly African Americans, because every, every one of them is sitting either at home or with their phones watching this cringing. I couldn't even watch it. I had to turn the television off because it was so hard to watch him sitting there being used by the president of the united states the president of the united states exploiting him and i don't mean this in a disparaging way exploiting someone who needs help who needs to back away from the cameras who needs to get off stage who needs to deal with his issues issues don lemon says about kanye you know i'm pretty sure that don lemon's got issues but maybe that's an entirely separate conversation, maybe something we can address another time. Uh, I would just say that there's something excessive about how much disparagement, how much anger, how over the line the left isn't willing to go over this whole Kanye thing. And, and I, look, I'm the first to admit that I think that media coverage of the Kanye visit to the White House has been excessive. I'm, I'm the first to tell you that I think that this shows you what's broken in the media is that whatever gets clicks and whatever headlines will attract attention are what everybody goes with for the most part. And that means that when you have a, a situation like this of a high-profile celebrity going to the White House who's attracting attention in this way, it sucks up all the media oxygen in the room. Um, but beyond that, and I, I think that's a totally valid criticism, but beyond that, why are they so angry at Kanye for this? Uh, why are they calling him these terrible racial things and and really 
saying that he's crazy and all this stuff. Meanwhile, I think this guy's been incredibly successful. He obviously knows something about what he's doing. And the level of disrespect that they're so quick to throw his way, it's just there's something off about it. And then I thought, you know, there's a problem here. If you go and listen to some of the things that he said, if you go and, oh, wait, by the way, before we get into before we get into what it says, I mean, here's like, here's CNN having a, a correspondent talk about, again, Kanye's crazy. That has to be the answer. Play three. Uh, Kanye West did acknowledge in this uh, conversation that he had or this monologue that he has some some issues, uh, some mental health issues. But he also said that the president, he looks to the president as a father. Um, he also talked about Chicago and, 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 and the crime rate there. And he talked about unemployment. He talked about the 13th Amendment. He talked about, you know, slaves not being able to read. He was all over the place. And I talked to uh, someone who's very familiar with the Kardashians or used to be. Uh, text messaging with Ray J. Uh, you know who Ray J is. He's He was once close with Kim Kardashian. So, covers all these different issues. A lot of them are issues that are actually of really high importance in the policy discussion in this country. But has to say that, you know, he's, he's crazy, which strikes me as uh, a really underhanded and nasty way of, of, well, undermining his argument. But then when you, when you listen to some of the things Kanye said, it's not that he's crazy. It's that you could maybe say he's crazy like a fox. I mean, it's, it's that he actually hit home with some of the things that he was saying. I mean, the, the, when I went back and, and read the transcript today and spent a little more time listening to some of the sound bites, and when you take away all the, you know, the, the sort of flashing lights, pomp and circumstance situation of this high-profile Oval Office meeting, here's some of the stuff that Kanye actually said. Play two. The debate about the Second Amendment going on. The problem is illegal guns. Illegal guns is the problem. Not, not, not legal guns. We have the right to bear arms. The problem is illegal guns, he says. Now, you and I both know that. That's, that is established fact at this point. That, that is very clear. The problem is, is illegal guns. Legal gun owners are actually not just a lesser criminal threat than your average American. They also have the effect of reducing crime in neighborhoods, particularly violent crime. You can go read John Lott's More Guns, Less Crime for the in-depth analysis with all the numbers on that. Uh, I like to give book plugs to people that are friends of the show. But the fact that he said this upsets so many liberals. They hate when anyone breaks ranks on the issue of guns because guns are such a, a simplistic issue for stupid left-wing Hollywood social justice warriors to feel like they're really brave and strong on. And they live in this complete echo chamber of everybody knows that guns are so bad. Everybody wants to get rid of guns because guns kill people and they won't engage anywhere beyond that. I mean, I, I tried to talk to Alyssa Milano, who is, of course, a Me Too leader. We talked to her out in California and uh, she said that it's as easy to buy an Air 15 as it is to buy a cappuccino at Starbucks. It's just a lie. I mean, if, yeah, if you had mandated federal background checks for all purchases uh, and you had to be 18 and you couldn't have a criminal record and you couldn't be a drug user and you couldn't be ever convicted of domestic violence and you couldn't give your cappuccino to anybody else and you couldn't take your cappuccino, you know, uh, across state lines and, you know, you go down this list. So, yeah. 
It's like buying a cappuccino insofar as it's like buying something, but there's a tremendous amount of other stuff that goes into it. And I, I can't tell if it's that she's just not smart enough to know that or she's too self-righteous and self-involved to care and that the lie is more effective. But you see Kanye saying the problem is illegal guns. That bothers the left. What I, what I realize more today is that they don't want to it's not just that who he is and that he appeared with Trump and that he's this high-profile black celebrity. That all bothers him, sure. But beyond that, there's the issue of, hold on a second, he was saying things that upset liberals on policy. He was saying things that were astute in many ways. And that's where you get to, oh, they just want to shut down the messenger. They want to stop the message. It's not just... Uh, a, a celebrity make fun of this situation. They actually want to make sure that Kanye's words don't get listened to by people. Hiring is difficult, that's for sure. And you can waste a lot of time and not get the best people. But that wouldn't be a smart way to go. You know what is a smart way to go? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards and they don't stop there because they have a powerful matching technology that will make sure that you are getting simply the best people to apply, okay? You should check it out for yourself. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. You can try this totally free. That's right. My listeners should go to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. It's the smartest way to hire. Once you try this, I'm telling you, we used it at the Hill and it has been incredibly successful. We've brought on great colleagues that I've enjoyed working with from day one. Try for yourself. Post your job. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Buck. Again, one more time, team. If you got to post a job, any job, ZipRecruiter.com slash Buck. So I, I told Jeb Bush after that debate that I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. Yeah, that's great analysis there from uh, Nicole Wallace, who strikes me as one of the least impressive so-called Republicans in the uh, mainstream media these days. All she does is just bash Trump all the time. She's one of these bitter former Bushies who think that the, the party, you know, they take no responsibility for the fact that they handed power to not just Obama, but to a Democrat supermajority in the Senate and a Democrat majority in the House. And Obama had carte blanche for his first two years in office because of Bush. All right. Now, I, I've told you before, I thought Bush was a, you know, a decent man, but I do think he was a little in over his head in some of that stuff. And I do think he made some pretty egregious errors. And he also was not nearly as loyal as he should have been. See the Scooter Libby situation. Uh, but it's crazy. All that said, it's crazy that Nicole Wallace is really kind of gloating about how, you know, yeah, I would have told them to punch Bush and punch Trump in the face. It's such a dumb thing to say. Can you imagine low energy Jeb? First of all, we all know this, okay? Low energy Jeb was the kind of guy who, even when he would get into a scuffle in grade school and he would say, hold me back, people weren't even holding him back. You know, low energy Bush, uh, low energy Jeb, rather, Jeb, please clap. Uh, he has never, he, I'm just guessing he's never been in a scrap in his whole life. So this notion of, you know, he punched him would have been a hero. It's just, it's just nonsense. Nicole Wallace. But, you know, this goes to the stuff that we hear from 
the loony left about uh, and look, Nicole Wallace says she's on the right. I mean, who knows? Uh, maybe she's going to announce her Democratness any day now. Um, but you know, N- Nicole Wallace is somebody who is still treated with way too much respect by Democrats to be trusted by anybody who supports Trump. But you know, we, we need to call this stuff out. We need to fight back against this. And, and I also think that you know, verbally pushing back on this is important. Let me take you to one of my favorite clips I've seen in in a while. As you know, there have been these protest maniacs running around Capitol Hill, running around D.C. here in the swamp for quite a while. It's been a lot of them. And, you know, they, they've been making a lot of noise and they chase people and there's this mob mentality. And it's a very real thing. Well, Senator Cassidy had a few people try to approach him in the hallway and start yelling at him and use their kids to ask him questions. And they were videotaping it. So this was essentially a, a, me- a uh, you know, citizen journalist media ambush of sorts. That's kind of a complicated way of saying it, but they're trying to catch him in a viral moment. They've got their kids there and, and they want to demand an apology for their kids. These are adults doing this. They're using these kids as political pawns. It's really gross. And instead of just walking past him, Senator Cassidy, I like this guy. Senator Cassidy engaged. Play clip 12. This is what happened at Capitol Hill. Senator Cassidy, can you please apologize to my children for ruining their futures? Hey, guess what? If in the future somebody makes it, I know your parents are using you as tools. No, but we're not the future, using them as tools. In the future, if somebody makes an allegation against you and there's no but proof me, for it, you will be okay. And you should hope that they go through but what a full due process. What, what about black Not men? ramming it in black to get... Black men get presumption of guilty, but white men get the presumption of innocent. So what about black men okay. if, if you use that analogy? Come out of the bathroom. Shame on you. They're following him into the trying to follow him to the bathroom. And listen to what we have to say. Listen to what we have to say. Shame on you for not believing women and for ruining my daughter's lives. Ruining my daughter's life for women and for ruining her life. Okay, let let, let's break this one down. Uh, These people are. Are, are not well adjusted. These adults. I'm not talking about the kids. Not the kids' fault. They should never have been there in the first place. This whole thing is gross. These kids are being. They are being used as props, and you should never do that to your kids. I, you know, I, when I walked through the anti-gun march or the March for Our Lives in D.C., there are all these parents that have their kids holding political signs, walking around with you know, no guns, no blood, all this stuff. I mean, I mean, little kids, you know, eight-year-olds. That's not cool. You don't do that. You shouldn't shouldn't force the public profession of political beliefs on small children. That's just a bizarre. It reminds me of how you get these journalists who are like, oh, you know, I just don't know what to say, man, because like my my eight year old daughter was like, why is Trump destroying all these constitutional norms in an aggressive grab for power, man? It's like, no, your eight year old daughter did not say that, you know, journalist for The New York Times, you're a liar. But, you know, I like the Cassidy approach to this one because he, he tells the kids, like, he's like, look, I'll answer your question. First of all, kids, you're being used as props, which they are. And it's gross. The whole thing that was being done there was gross and wrong, and that shouldn't happen. But just also notice how that there's this claim that they're making that they're ruining, uh, you know, that, that Cassidy, by voting for Kavanaugh, has ruined their children's lives. How, how do you even get from A to B there? How do you even get them? And Mike... 
it, they're, they're so they're so delusional now. These leftist agitators that it's almost hard to understand what they think they're trying to say. Yeah, they're out of bounds, man. And they're just wacko, ruining my kid's life because he voted for a Supreme Court justice that's eminently qualified. Uh, but I like that he also engaged the army. He goes, yeah, now if you're accused of something that's you didn't, that there's no evidence of, you'll get due process, kids. It's like, yeah, that's right. Right. And yeah, they were totally taken back by it, too. Buck. Oh, you could tell those women were like, uh-oh. Like, right. He turned, the t- he turned the tables on them, too. Totally. When he engaged. There was, because they I, are using their kids as props. Right. And I usually actually, uh, on the video, if people want to go look at it, you should really check it out. Because I actually trimmed some silence out of there because just for, for editing purposes. But when he engaged, there was a good solid, like, 10, 15 seconds of silence where they were just like, uh-oh. <laughs> yep. yep. So, Happy learned how to putt. Yeah. Uh-oh. Hey, quick question uh, for you. So, yeah, uh, man. I got a quick question for you. We were talking about the uh, Jeb in the beginning of the segment. Um, last week, we had that um, Obama clip where he talked about uh, his, uh, when he was a youth, and how he got in the fights, and you were mentioning how, you know, it probably didn't happen. Um, who would win an Obama-Jeb Bush fight? Like if they stepped into the octagon yeah. and you know put on the pads and actually, <laughs> right. that's a really that's a really <laughs> tough one. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm gonna low be energy jab versus Obama. Aren't like you for saying this, I I think I think Obama probably I think Obama probably takes him. I just think Jeb is just a wimp and like you know Obama's probably got some wiry strength. I think Obama might. I know everyone's booing me right now. Look, I call it like I see it. All right, I call it like I see it. Uh, I'm trying to think of what would be some, what would be some other fun oct- octagon <laughs> UFC style matchups with various politics. Well, first of all, I mean Zinke would take like any Democrat. Oh, he's a would, former yeah, he seal. Would roll, he would roll. Uh, the, the the GOP has got a lot more ringers for the octagon in, in their uh, in their senior government ranks than uh, you know than, than anybody else. I mean, I can tell you this: if it were if it were between Biden, let's say, and Biden and McConnell, I think, would be interesting because oh, yeah. you probably yeah. think that Biden, you know, fights a little dirty. Uh-huh. But McConnell also has that. You don't remember. Do you ever have like your grand? You ever like get on the wrong side of your grandpa yeah. and you felt like grandpa was kind of old, but then he actually grabbed you and you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. grandpa has old man strength. Yeah, I, I think that tur- I think McConnell might some old man strength. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, dude, the, dude, the turtles. Turtles are all about surprise. Yeah. And snapping turtles look all slow and cute until you're yeah. missing a finger. That's how McConnell would fight. S- slow and steady wins the race. He'd be all methodical on Biden, you know? I think so. I think that's a fair point. So we should we could do a whole, whole recurrent segment. It's like, so if these two politicians got a, got into a fight, who, who would come out on top? Oh, you know what would be a great one? Cruz and O'Rourke. Oh, yeah. Cruz and O'Rourke. Oh, because dude, we, we got we to gotta start, start like, swamp, like, swamp Fight Club. We got to start one. At Swamp Fight Club, absolutely. Yeah. Do you think about this, though? Cruz took Jimmy Kimmel to school on the basketball court. Mm-hmm. Just took him to school. And Kimmel was really was fouling him a lot. And if you see some of the video, he's really trying hard. And yeah. Kimmel thought he was going to win. Cruz, but you know what? Cruz is all about the fundamentals, dude. Just like he's all about the Constitution when it comes to the law. Yeah. When it comes to basketball, Cruz is all about like boxing yeah. out. And I bet you in like a wrestling match... Cruz would go with like straight out of the book, like double leg takedown, arm bar, you know, half Nelson. He probably studies all the maneuvers. Yeah. You know, whereas Beto, unless unless he can, you know, knock back a six pack and get into a car beforehand, I don't think he's too dangerous. Right. Oh, yeah. All right. There well, we go. I think the I'll one leave thing it we, at that. Yeah. Go. What do you got? What do you got? No, go I was going to say, the one thing I think we learned from the segment is that uh, whether it's in the arena of ideas or actually in the arena in a ring, conservatives will always come out on top. 
I think that's a, I think that's a perfect place for us to leave us because that is that is in fact the takeaway. Uh, team, we got more coming up. Actually, my friend Raheem Kassam will be joining us here in just a moment. Just talk about a whole bunch of things because we're seeing Raheem's a really interesting guy. So that's going to be here in just a moment. Back by popular demand, and I'm not going to pull the numbers out right now, but uh, I'm just going to say that a preponderance of, of ladies requesting to hear from the one and only Raheem Kassam once again here on the Buck Sexton Show. Raheem is a former political advisor to Nigel Farage. He's the author of No Go Zones. You see him running around Fox and other places making all kinds of trouble and making sense. Raheem, great to have you back. Great to be able to give the people what they want, bud. Indeed. A man a man of the people. Don't let the ascots fool you, everybody. Now, tell me about what's going on with uh, <laughs> with, with the, the regulation. You know, we like to get a, a view from the rest of the world. Raheem, you're a worldly fellow, and you obviously are, are a Brit. Uh, so what's going on with pizzas in the United Kingdom? Well, we, we, as you know, we have a, a burdensome regulatory environment in Europe um, and in the United Kingdom uh, specifically. Uh, and the uh, bureaucrats who guard our health uh, have decided that pizza is the next uh, target of their ire. Uh, they, uh, there is an organization called Public Health England. Um, it is the sort of health watchdog and regulator in the United Kingdom. And they have now said uh, that... Uh, pizzas should be capped in the term in terms of how many calories uh, should be sold uh, uh, on them. So that includes the cheese, the toppings, all that kind of thing. Uh, and and you know this applies to supermarkets, takeaways, uh, you know pizza delivery places, things like that. This is, in in the government's words, their uh, their attempt to uh, stem off a, a, an obesity crisis. And of course, unfortunately, whenever there is talk of an obesity crisis. Fingers get pointed at the United States and say, we don't want to be like them, uh, so we're going to take your pizza away. Uh, and this, uh, I think, is not just going to apply to pizza, but it's going to apply to uh, almost all takeaway portions, no more than 928 calories in any takeaway portion, which would kind of restrict, I think, half of the McDonald's menu and, 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 and so on and so forth. Um, so it's, 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 it's been sort of the subject of uh, quite a lot of jokes over the last 24 hours in England, but unfortunately, um, it's entirely true, uh, which makes us the joke, I feel. Is, is the pizza in the UK anything that anybody really wants to eat? Let's be honest. I have no idea. I'm really asking, but... I mean, is Domino's the best you can get in London? Do they have some pretty good pizza? Your average, your average Chicago and or New Yorker would not want to imbibe of London pizza, um, but uh, but it's you know it's not bad, it's not terrible. Uh, you know, I've I've had pizza in England many many times, as my Beltline shows. Um, but uh, uh, it's not just the pizzas. I mean, think about the largest uh, takeaway food product in the United Kingdom is kebabs, right? Donna kebabs, lamb kebabs, chicken kebabs. I mean, none of that would come in at under 928 calories per portion. So when you add all the lovely garlic sauce and all that stuff on top and the chips on the side, or the fries, as you say, on the side. Um, so this is really actually going to, I think, hit a lot of people in their pockets quite seriously because they're not actually going to eat less. What they're going to have to do is order double portions. Uh, I was going to say, they, they, they can't, the they're thing. not making you have like a friend come with you so you, know, you can each only get one slice. Or one kebab. I think, you know, they might, 
we're not far off from having police officers in every takeaway watching what we're purchasing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, realistically speaking, there's nothing to stop me going, uh, okay, I'd like one slice of pizza, please. And then going back to the front of the line and going, and I'd like another slice of pizza, please. I mean, nobody's going to enforce that. So it's going to be paying double. It's going to be, you know, again, this is, this is regressive because who is it that orders most of the takeaways? It's actually more working class people, people who work very hard, long hours, don't have time to cook at home, so on and so forth. Um, so, so, you know, we might joke about it, but there are serious ramifications for this stuff. And it's the same as any... Uh, government sort of regulation, whether it be energy taxes or fuel taxes, it all hits uh, the ordinary person in the pocket the hardest. And tell me a bit about this story with with Amazon. You brought this to my attention, Raheem. Amazon is giving money to, well, some charities that folks should know about. What's going on? Yeah, this is quite, this is really quite serious. I mean, Amazon has this program called Smile, wherein it, uh, it donates a portion of its profits uh, from anything you buy through through Jeff Bezos's uh, uh, company uh, to a list of charities, and you can choose which charity you want to give to, or you can say, "Hey, Amazon, you know, you make my mind up for me," um, and they give you a uh, sort of list of their, um, you know, signed off on charities. Um, but it came to light this week uh, that uh, a couple of the charities, two at least on this list, um, are quite heavily involved. In, um, in Islamist activity. Now, there's one in particular, the Muslim Research and Development Foundation, which is uh, which is ha- has historically been run by and still counts as its spiritual head, a chap by the name of Haytham al-Haddad, who's quite famous as a radical Islamic preacher in the United Kingdom. Uh, and this is who Amazon's giving their money to. And, and to give you some examples of what Haytham al-Haddad is uh, perhaps best known for, he's called some Jews apes and pigs. Um, he has said that men don't have to... Um, uh, uh, explain why they beat their wives, um, and he's also said that uh, female genital mutilation uh, is something that uh, you know is 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 um, uh, you know given uh, you know legitimacy by Islam and by the Quran. So this came to light last week. Amazon turned around and said, "Well, you know, we didn't know about these guys because we rely on the UK government to advise us on these matters." Uh, and, and the way I look at it is this. You have a big corporate, which, by the way, on $17 billion of, of, of income, last, of revenue last year, only paid something like £15 million worth of taxes in the United Kingdom. So they're already very unloved in the UK for that. But you have this big corporate that does have the resources to check these things, that does and should have you know, a team of people looking at the ethics of this and looking at the, 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 the charities it's giving money to saying, no, 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 we rely on the British government, i.e. the British taxpayer, to do our work for us. We just want a virtue signal and say we give money to charities. We're not responsible uh, for, for where that money finally ends up. Now, they said they're going to revisit that, um, but it just goes to show, you know, while, while the Washington Post and, 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 and the Amazons of the world, obviously both owned by Jeff Bezos, um, are quite happy to lecture and hector us, conservatives especially, on, on um, you know, ethics and morals and all this kind of thing. They have no indication, no, no intention of doing it themselves within their own companies. Raheem, since we got you here, I want to also ask you about this Jamal Khashoggi uh, assassination. I think it's pretty clear at this point. What, what's your, what's just your, your 30,000 foot take on this whole fiasco and, and this, this brutal, this brutal hit? And what do you think we should do with this? Do you think we're going to do anything with the Saudis? I, I'm skeptical, but I want to hear your take. 
Yeah, I think it's probably getting to a point now. I mean, you're seeing it, it, just an increased amount of activity um, here on Capitol Hill and, and obviously in the news media about this. So I think it probably will come to a point where uh, you know, the U.S. government and indeed uh, many of its NATO allies will have to do something about it, whether it's, um, whether it's sanctions or, or, or what have you. I mean, don't forget, it's happened uh, in Turkey uh, and, and, you know, Turkey is a NATO member uh, uh, country. So there's, there's going to be pressure from various angles on this. Um, look, as, as far as I'm concerned, I, I think this is one of the few instances where, where this administration has really slipped up. It was, it was not paying very much attention to this um, early on when it knew about the, uh, the kidnapping. And, and as we now believe it to be, you know, an assassination, a murder. Um, and now it's playing catch up, trying to sort of, you know, oh, uh, we didn't know. We didn't know where he was. We didn't know what was going on. We, it's not. It's not really good enough. I mean, at the end of the day, this is somebody who, uh, um, you know, has contributed to uh, uh, U.S. news outlets. is is quite a, um, you know, quite a renowned author in the su- on the subject of Saudi Arabia and corruption um, in the kingdom. Um, and so, I, I think we will have to see something come to pass. I think what the Americans will probably do in this circumstance is is, is try and get someone like Turkey or other NATO allies like the United Kingdom uh, to lead the way in sanctioning Saudi Arabia on this, because as President Trump's made quite clear over the past few days, he doesn't necessarily think that it's worth jeopardizing the great strides that he made with Saudi Arabia early on in his presidency um, over a kidnapping uh, or over a detention of someone. But now it looks like it's actually been a, a full-fledged and pro- probably pretty gruesome murder from what we're hearing. Uh, that changes the game quite significantly. So I do expect to hear uh, something from the U.S. government and its, and its partners around the world in the next few days. Raheem Kassam, everybody. Follow him on Twitter. Also, uh, go to RaheemKassam.com. Is that right for your website? That's the one. Thank you, bud. All right, everybody. Great to have Raheem here. Thanks, buddy. Good to talk to you. Team, we got more coming up. We'll be right back. Think about the Me Too movement, though. Do you believe in them? Do you support the Me Too movement? Uh, I support the women, and they need to be heard. We need to support them. And, you know, also men, not just women. Do you think men in the, in the news that have been accused of, of sexual assault, sexual harassment, have been treated unfairly? We need to have a really hard evidence that, you know, that if you accuse of something, show the evidence. Some women might hear that and say, how could you say that, Mrs. Trump? You, you need to stand with women. What would you I say? I do stand with women, but we need, to, we need to show the evidence. You cannot just say to somebody, I was you know, sexually assaulted, and, or you did that to me, or because sometimes the media goes too far, and um, the way they portray some stories, it's, it's not correct. It's not right. I got to tell you, it's amazing to me, or maybe I shouldn't say it's amazing, it's noteworthy to me that the first lady of the United States, who's an immigrant to this country, a very successful legal immigrant to this uh, country, that the first lady is, or has a better understanding, really, the first lady has a better understanding of rule of law, due process, and the presumption of innocence than about 90% of the mainstream media. She's like, yeah, I stand with women, but like show some evidence. You know, we, we, gotta, have, we gotta have evidence. And now people who say, oh, but most of the time it's just, an ac- it's just an accusation. And well, the truth is those accusations are generally anchored by the place, the time, 
the reality of whether those people had had any contact, were they in the same region, were they in the same city? Uh, you know, there are, there are allegations and there are allegations. You know, if I say that I uh, met with somebody who was part of some international conspiracy 30 years ago, I can't tell you where or when, but it happened. That's a lot less convincing than last week. I met with a guy named Bob who was part of some big international conspiracy. We met, you know, next to the Washington Monument, and this was the time of day. Because by adding those details, even if I'm just making that allegation, it at least provides a context and it makes it either provable or disprovable, theoretically provable or disprovable. Whereas if it's unmoored by time or place, you can't you can't disprove it. That's why the Ford allegations and I've always, I thought Ford was a very disturbed person. I mean, I think that Blasey Ford probably has had all kinds of terrible things happen to her. I think she probably was uh, almost certainly was sexually assaulted. I just think almost certainly. Uh, she is making up that it was Brett Kavanaugh, or at least she's wrong about it being Brett Kavanaugh, uh, which would not be that strange for people with a 35-year uh, memory gap. So, or 35 years ago and memory gaps in that. So here here we have uh, this the first lady talking about the Me Too movement and, and making sense while talking about the Me Too movement. And then we also have... What does not make sense in this whole Me Too movement? Uh, what what does take things far beyond the realm of what any normal person uh, would would be willing to say or would think about an issue? Victoria Bissell Brown got published in the Washington Post, and that the Washington Post would publish this. I mean, they consider themselves a serious newspaper. Okay, they they think of themselves as probably the second most serious newspaper in the country. Only to the, you know only in the the number two slot to the New York Times. But they're D.C.-based, and so I'm sure they believe that they're even better than the, the Times on a whole bunch of issues. Anyway, her piece is as follows. Quote, remember, this is a, a professor, a college professor writing the Washington Post. Thanks for not raping us, all you good men, but it's not enough. Let me take you a little bit into this piece, my friends. Quote, I yelled at my husband last night. Not pick up your socks, yell. Not how could you ignore that red light, yell. This was real yelling. This was 30 minutes of from-the-gut yelling, triggered by a small, thoughtless, dismissive, annoyed, patronizing comment. Really small. A microwave that triggered a hurricane. I blew hard and fast, and it terrified me. I'm still terrified by what I felt and what I said. I'm almost 70 years old. I'm a grandmother. Yet in that roiling moment, screaming at my husband as if he represented every clueless male on the planet and I, every angry woman of 2018, I announced that I hate all men and wish all men were dead. If one of my grandchildren yelled something that ridiculous, I'd have to stifle a laugh. But my husband of 50 years did not laugh. He took it dead seriously. Uh, okay. This is pretty much... A, an overview of contemporary left-wing feminism on display. This more or less uh, lays out for all of us why feminists uh, are liberal, humorless, nasty, angry, and, and destructive, not just in the, in the general conversations we have in society, but really self-destructive, too. There is a bizarre self-loathing, self-pitying, and self-righteousness at the heart of left-wing feminism. 
you know, you're victims, but you're also warriors for for justice. You know, social justice warriors. Uh, you are sanctimonious all the time, but you really just want to have people treat you better. Well, you know, which, which is it? This woman went into what I think you could call full-on harpy mode against her husband. I think that's fair to say, screaming at him more than she's ever screamed at him before over what she says was a thoughtless comment. And she thought she was channeling the anger of all women. And then her whole piece, by the way, is about how it's not enough to just not attack. It's not enough to just treat women well and not be a sexist. You have to form a male pro-feminist movement. This is classic progressive social justice theory, I would note. They say this about racism, too. It's not enough to just not be a racist personally. You are responsible for historical racism as a white male, and therefore you must actively work against it. Oh, that means being a progressive, doesn't it? But I, I would really tell you to read this piece. Thank you for not raping us, good men, but it's not enough. And get a real window into the mindset of these radical deeply unhappy, deeply troubled so-called feminists. Every day I start the same way with a delicious hot cup of Black Rifle coffee. This is so good, my friends, that I don't even need to add any milk to it. And I'm actually a big milk drinker, but you know what else I drink? A lot of coffee. And I know delicious coffee when I taste it. I'm not into those left-leaning commie corporate brands. I'm into Black Rifle coffee. Everybody listening to this who's a coffee drinker should go, if you have not already, to blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. You'll get 15% off your first order, and you can get absolutely delicious coffee, whether you want it ground, whole bean, or K-cup, delivered to your door. They even have a decaf option now, if you're so inclined. Blackriflecoffee.com slash buck. 15% off your first order. Black Rifle Coffee. It's run by patriots, run by veterans. Black Rifle Coffee dot com slash buck 15 percent off your first order in the aftermath of the kavanaugh nomination which went through successfully you got a lot of folks who i think are finally some of the more stubborn never trumper types on the right are finally coming around to the realization that the trump way may be the only way right now if we actually intend to win if we don't want to just uh do the best job possible of losing we've got somebody who not only understands Trump and his ways and his administration intimately, but also has written a book specifically on this issue of why we fight. That is the title of the book by Dr. Sebastian Gorka, uh, Why We Fight Defeating America's Enemies with No Apologies. Dr. G, good to have you back. Great to be back on your show. Thanks for having me. So, uh, what's what's going on in this book you i assume you're you're discussing a whole a whole panoply of enemies who comes to mind right so my first book was defeating jihad and that was focused on al-qaeda and isis and now i'm doing you know the whole global overview so i look at all the threats that face america china russia uh, the global jihadis included and and talk about what the strategies are that the president's going to use to defeat them and then in between that i have uh, stories of great American heroes, some of whom you may have heard of, some I think most Americans have, have never even heard of, going back right to the Barbary Wars, our youngest ever uh, naval captain who led a Marine Corps action uh, against the Barbary pirates off the coast of Tripoli, through to World War II with Marine Corps legend Chesty Puller, 
Then I write about Eugene McDaniel, a naval aviator who was captured in Vietnam, spent six and a half years in the Hanoi Hilton, never lost faith in God, never lost faith in America. And then finally, uh, in a, an incredible parallel to uh, Justice Kavanaugh's ordeal in the last month, I write about Whitaker Chambers, a man who was, was Kavanaugh before Kavanaugh was born, a man who stood up to the truth in a congressional hearing in 1948, the first ever uh, uh, televised testimony, who, because he stood up for the truth, the left tried to destroy him, accused him of being a homosexual, an alcoholic, a man responsible for his brother's death. All of it was lies. He stood up to the truth. He was proven right. So, you know, trying to remind Americans that, you know, it takes, it takes fortitude uh, to stand for the truth and to protect our nation. And, and that's really why I write why we fight. I've told people, by the way, that if it, you mentioned Whitaker Chambers, the book Witness that he wrote, which is really his autobiography where he talks about that ordeal you just described, is, I think, one of the 10 most important books that a conservative in America can read. Yeah, it, Witness is a stunning book, also published by my, my uh, publishers, Regnery. Uh, it is, uh, this is overused, but this truly is, and I've met people who admit to this, Witness is a life-changing book. Just the, the opening 20 pages, which is written in the form of a letter by Whitaker Chambers to his children to explain uh, what his family has gone through, is, is an incredible reader in and of itself. But, yeah, there's a, there's a reason I included Whitaker Chambers in, in Why We Fight. So you... you are addressing uh, many heroes from our past in this book and, and the challenges, the struggles that they had and the battles that they had to wage. But looking into the future a bit or, or in, in the present day and going forward, who do you worry about us prevailing over in the fight? I mean, I, I know that you're an optimist about America, as am I, Dr. G, but who, who are our, our most menacing opponents going into the future? Uh, it's Look, I came in as a general kind of utility infielder for national security when I joined the, the Trump administration. And my focus was, of course, counterterrorism. But once you get the clearances, once you, you know, read the classified uh, intelligence, you realize very quickly that you know, we're dealing with ISIS, we're dealing with Iran, we're dealing with North Korea. We're going to put Russia back in her box. Uh, Iran will be dealt with. But there's only one truly strategic threat we face. And that's China. China has a plan to displace America. You can read it now. It's not secret. You can go online and just punch in one belt, one road, and you will see their strategy to depose America and to become the most powerful nation in the world. So number one, it's China. But the good news is President Trump understands the threat and he is taking action. What, what should we do vis-a-vis -vis China? I mean, clearly the president has stood up to them in an economic fashion that, you know, they're, they're getting the worst end of this. We, we've always been led to believe in recent years until Trump, uh, Dr. Gorka, that, uh, that this would be disastrous for us if we were to ever push back on China's not just currency manipulation and theft of intellectual property, but all of their predatory business practices in the international scene. Trump is already winning this battle. What else does he have to do? Well, we first we have to. There's a kind of educational component. We have to disabuse all our fellow Americans, especially especially those in Silicon Valley that are 
you know, cozying up to Beijing and the communists, this concept that Kissinger sold us that is absolutely fallacious that with more economic liberalization, a nation will eventually become a democracy. It wasn't true in the 1960s or 70s, and it's definitely not true now. I mean, the idea that Google is helping the Chinese government to censor the Internet from its own citizens, that's outrageous. We don't do that. We don't support democracies in that way. So number one, education. Number two, exactly what the president is doing with his trade investigations, his tariffs. Uh, and at the end of the day, you're right. Uh, China has far more to lose than we do. So now is the time to redress the balance. We're speaking to Dr. Sebastian Gorka, author of the new book, Why We Fight Defeating America's Enemies with No Apologies. You can get it right now on Amazon, and I recommend you all do so. Before we let you go, Dr. G, uh, this Khashoggi business is looking increasingly macabre. Uh, this is a really bad situation. There's no question about that. Looking more and more like the Saudis uh, had the not just direct hand in this, but it was the Saudis. Just a question of how far up the, the, the command chain it went. What do you think the Trump administration response should be to this incredibly provocative and, and really, it seems, just almost insane act of violence? Well, first things first, we, we need the facts of the case. We, you know, we, need, we need evidence of what exactly happened to this man. Um, he, he himself, he has a, a, a checkered background. Uh, if you look at his writing. Yes, he's an Islamist. I was telling people this yesterday. He's an Islamist, which has not come out somehow from a lot of folks. Go ahead, Dr. G. Very, very uh, unsavory connections to the Muslim Brotherhood. But clearly, look, this is an individual who's caught in the, the great game, the geopolitical um, standoff, really, between the two nations that wish to become the, the predominant uh, ruling nations of the Sunni Muslim world. And that's... Uh, the, the newly theocratic, undemocratic Turkey, and then the kingdom of Saudi Arabia where Islam was founded. So that's, that's the, the geopolitical context. And this man is, was, I guess, caught in the middle of that. But, but right now, we're working with the authorities. We're going to find out what happened to this man. But you know better than anybody else. I mean, your background in intelligence and counterterrorism, all initial reports from the battlefield must be verified. So let's find out exactly what happened, and then you know the White House will be on the case. Absolutely. And I have a friend in the news business who said, you know, he read a report that was telling him that the body parts were buried, the Khashoggi body parts were buried in the backyard of a consular official down the road. I said, you know, before you go on air, that, that news source you got it from, is it by chance uh, funded by the countries? Is this, you know, is this a Mideast newspaper right. that's not really a free and fair? Oh, and it turns out it is. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of stories out there that you have to not just take with a grain of salt, have to wait and see what the full... Because look, the, 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 the Turks are becoming increasingly problematic for us too. So it's, this is not an easy situation in terms of gauging all the different motivations for the different aspects of the story but we'll have you back dr g we got more on that one uh, sebastian gorka everybody his book is why we fight defeating america's enemies with no apologies dr gorka i will write it and i hope you'll come and join me on rising we'll talk about this on tv i look forward to it thanks for having me god bless got good luck with the book have a great weekend team we've got uh, more coming up stay with me 
With all the recent news about online security breaches, it's hard not to worry about where my data goes. Making an online purchase or simply accessing your email could put your private information at risk. You're being tracked online by social media sites, marketing companies, and your mobile or internet provider. Not only can they record your browsing history, but they often sell it to other corporations who want to profit from your information. That's why I decided to take back my privacy by using ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of my computer, phone, and tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection takes only one click. Protect yourself with ExpressVPN. It costs less than $7 a month. You can protect all your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash buck. That's expressvpn.com slash buck for three months free with a one-year package. Expressvpn.com slash buck to learn more. States are the laboratories of democracy, and then my state, Arizona, is clearly the meth lab of democracy. <laughs> Tea Party Republic is all the same thing. It's called crazy. <laughs> so that is Democrat Senate hopeful Kristen Sinema. Uh, some audio has surfaced from what she used to say back when she was uh, running. Uh, what was that in 2010, Mike? Is that right? When she was running for something else, I think. Yeah, yeah. She was yes. back in 2010. And, and now this stuff has come out. And people are starting to look into, oh, who, who is this person exactly? Um, and Fox News has pulled together a big, a big piece on her uh, where it has the following. And this is really all you need to know about this person, I think. She was on a, a radio show, which, of course, near and dear to my heart, radio. She was on a radio show, and she said the following in 2003... Uh, quote, I don't care if people go and fight for the Taliban in Afghanistan. Oh, man. Quote, fine, I don't care if you go and do that. Go ahead. As an individual, if I want to go fight in the Taliban army, I go over there and I'm fighting for the Taliban. I say that's a personal decision. This is Hancock talking to cinema. And she responded, fine, I don't care if you go over there. Do that. Go ahead. This is uh, the audio they have. Uh, the Fox News has found. So yeah, she's like, yeah, if you want to go fight with our with our with our sworn enemy, you know, the Taliban that was playing host to Al Qaeda that killed three thousand Americans on nine eleven by running planes, hijacked planes into our buildings, and then we're given safe harbor. Uh, the Al Qaeda was given safe harbor harbor by the Taliban, and cinema apparently has no problem with that. You know, she's like, yeah, you know, go go fight for the Taliban. One thing that that I feel like liberals don't get don't get uh, hit hard enough on is that whenever there's a real question of whether someone has has a basic loyalty to this country, whenever there's a basic question of, hey, are, are you rooting for our people or, you know, or not? Uh, are, are you on our team or are you on someone else's team? It tends to be liberals. It tend to be, tends to be liberals that you don't really know what side of the issue uh, they're going to come down on. It tends to be liberals where you have to say to yourself, hmm, Hold on a second. Uh, why is it that this is a, a close call for you? You've got U.S. troops in harm's way, and you're like, well, you know, remember when Michael Moore, uh, producer Mike, remember this? Michael Moore was, I think, he, wasn't it him who compared uh, the Al-Qaeda uh, Al in Iraq, the Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda in Iraq to the Minutemen in this country? I'm pretty sure he did. That the, or the insurgents in Iraq to the Minutemen here. Uh, which, if I recall, I mean, George Washington and and the the Patriots who fought against fought against England weren't uh, grabbing 
random tradesmen and sawing off their heads for fun. Uh, you know, so so that was a pretty rage-inducing, or should have been a rage-inducing comparison. I think at the time, Michael Moore got away with, pardon the uh, the turn of phrase, more even then than he would now. Uh, but this is where you see the left showing what they really think and who they really are. Uh, they they don't have the same degree of uh, feelings of patriotism, culturally speaking. On the left, there's always a greater willingness to say, well, you know, America's not that. America's not that great. America's not a place that we need to be feeling proud of all the time. There's a lot of problems in America. That's what the left will say. Um, so that's you got cinema in this uh, race in Arizona for the Arizona Senate seat. Um, that's... Uh, that's going to be a, a pretty tight race, I think. And then you also have Beto O'Rourke. Beto. Why don't? Why can't we just call him Robert O'Rourke? That's what his name is. You know, could you imagine? You know, Robert O'Rourke. That that's his Irish name is like Bill O'Reilly. Imagine if Bill O'Reilly was like, I want everyone to call me Pedro O'Reilly, and that was just his thing. All of a sudden, people would probably that would strike them as a little strange. You know, Yo soy Pedro O'Reilly, uh, but. Beto O'Rourke is what we all know him as. He has had the single biggest, the single biggest haul for a Senate race in terms of a money race of anyone ever. Anyone ever. $35 million, I believe. Uh, Mike, check my facts on this one. I'm pretty sure I'm correct. I, I have a feeling, I have a feeling that I am right on this one. Uh, but yeah, $35 million, uh, which is for a Senate race, an incredible amount of money. Uh, but here's what they're not going to tell you about now. Um, he's not going to win. <laughs> he's not going to win. Mike, do you think do you think I'm on, on solid ground here? I think 10 points he loses by. That's my, it might be nine, but I'm going to go with 10. I think he loses by 10 points in Texas. John, what do you think? John, just agree with me then, damn it. You know, I agree you with you, Buck. Do. <laughs> there we go. John's not getting a code red. Mike, who I know right now is pulling audio, so I, I caught him doing. See, he's not actually getting phone numbers from eligible eligible ladies. He is he is uh, pulling audio for the show, which is fine. You know, he's always in real time. See, folks, producer Mike, make sure you get the latest and greatest audio on this show. He doesn't want to ever shortchange you, and he also makes sure that you know I'm I'm up to date here, so I'm not telling you about old boring Trump stuff. I'm up to speed on all the latest and greatest in all things Trump. Uh, but yeah, O'Rourke is 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 going to lose big time. And what's funny is that you already have, uh, uh, who is it that's saying that he could win, he could be a presidential candidate. I mean, only, oh yeah, $38 million fundraising haul. $38 million. And, you know, Ted Cruz has rejected the CNN town hall with Beto. I, I think that's a smart move by Ted. Why, why allow Beto to have this degree of what is clearly a, a home court advantage? Because that's what CNN is. But I was paying attention to this maybe two months ago, six weeks ago, when they were all saying, oh, Beto is going to win. It's like, no, he's not. He's not going to come close to winning. But the, the media does this. They, they can't separate out whether it's Obama or it's Beto or it's Ocasio-Cortez, they are unable to look at these candidates objectively and they just get wrapped up in, in wanting so badly to believe that these candidates are going to be the, the real deal, that these candidates are going to, well, look, with Obama, obviously he won twice. But with some of these others, I'm just saying that they can't be objective about their prospects. 
you know, they they aren't able, I think, to to look at this and and give you real analysis. Yeah, thirty eight million dollars. That, that's incredible for a amount of. Think about that. This guy is is a long shot candidate at best, and they're spending all this money on it. Meanwhile, Cruz is up nine points according to a Quinnipiac poll released earlier. Uh, well, released yesterday, nine points. I think he's going to win by ten. It's not even going to be close. This Beto guy, I mean, socialism, Austin. What's up, LBJ Austin in the house? Uh, but, you know, Austin's left-wing politics haven't taken over the rest of the state yet, from what I understand. So, you know, Cruz is going to come through. I, I spoke to Ted a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey, what's going on with... I, I mean, it was kind of off the record so I can't tell exactly what he said, but he's not worried. Is all I can, he's not worried. He, he knows he's going to... He knows he's going to take... Uh, take Beto and he's going to win. So that's that's that part of this. And I think you'll see this with a number of these Senate races where they try. Oh, by the way, Manchin, I would tell you all along that Manchin was doing the smart thing politically by voting for Kavanaugh. If he had vote, if Manchin had, had voted against Kavanaugh, he'd be done. So in a sense, you know, that's a that's kind of a it's not a it, 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 we, we gained a, we gained a lot, but we lost a little there because you would have had a Republican Instead of Manchin, I just think Manchin should uh, switch parties. I think Manchin in West Virginia should become a Republican. Just stop. There, there is no like Democrat Union Party anymore. It's all leftist, transgender rights agitators now. It's different. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, cause a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to eleven. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed, it is time for the Roll Call. And so here we are. I don't know. On Friday, I feel like making it French is just adding a little je ne sais quoi to the whole situation. Uh, let's do it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. If you are listening to this show anywhere across the country, around the world, in fact, I believe according to our, our digital metrics, about 5% of the audience of this show is international. Uh, so that's kind of a cool thing. That's fun, isn't it? We got people listening in Eastern Europe, Canada, Mexico, South Korea, downrange in the war zones, Iraq and Afghanistan. So to all of you out there, to Team Buck International, I send you a Shields High. Adam writes, Buck, do you think we could have Kanye as acting press secretary for a day? I would love to see that. Shields High. Adam, it would no doubt be hilarious. So you're certainly on to something from a content perspective. Uh, will the White House ever go that route? I think the answer is probably not. But I like where your head's at, you know? I give you points for thinking outside the box. I thought the Kanye thing was very entertaining, and I just took it as that. And I do think that you you see these uh, people that are freaking out about it. It's just a, a Rorschach test for whether or not you hate Trump. You know, if if you saw this whole thing with Kanye and you think that he that Kanye profaned the Oval Office and all that, you hate, you know, it's because you hate Trump because uh, a normal person would just see that and say, yeah, you know, whatever celebrities we're in the we're in the age of celebrity domination right now. The president is, in fact, was and still is a celebrity. So people need to just chillax, chillax, bro. Like, just hang out. Like, yeah, 
Like next time Bucks out in Rancho Santa Fe, you should go surfing and like maybe, you know, see what the local bud tastes like. I'm talking about the drink beer, obviously. Uh, so thank you, Adam. Next up, we have John who writes, want to bring something to your attention regarding the Don Lemon show that bashed Kanye. I found it ironic that Tara Setmayer was the one to call Kanye the token, given her appearances on CNN as of late. I first found Tara and Essie Cup via the blaze when Glenn Beck left Fox. Tara and Essie were frequent hosts espousing conservatism for a check until they got their offers at CNN to turn around and bash those same principles. Now she is another token for CNN. Uh, and there you have it. John, uh, I... I appreciate you writing in, and, and I obviously share your thoughts on air here. Uh, I shared your thoughts on air, I mean. Um, I have a, a rule, as you know. I'm very upfront about this, that I do not bash friends in the media business, uh, people that I know personally. Even when I disagree with them uh, strenuously, I do not say things about them that I have not already said to their faces or that I have not said to them publicly. So I will just leave it at Tara and SE are friends of mine. Uh, but I appreciate you writing in and sharing your thoughts. And at least we can all sit here and bash Don Lemon because he's not a friend and he is not smart. Okay. Uh, Michael writes, these are great knives for your kitchen. Kakimoto. Kaki, Kakimoto, huh? It's fun to say. What's up, bro? Let's go to Kakimoto. I kind of like it. Uh, I, I will tell you the truth, Michael. I am a little bit of a noob when it comes to knives in the kitchen. I actually have a great knife collection that's pri that's personal for just i like knives i have a bunch of handmade knives that my uncle james made for me i have some bench maids that i carried with me overseas uh i had not for combat purposes but just have a knife in case you got to cut off a you know for utility purposes you know if i had to cut away my body armor or something or something came up you, know, you just want to have a knife on you when you're in a war zone um but i have other i have a whole bunch of knives i brought some knives back from the war zones but kitchen knives I have had a very tough time keeping the edge on them as sharp as it should be. Uh, I'm not bad with my, although I'm going to call it a sharpening stick, and that's not really what it's called, but a sharpening iron, is that right? I'm not bad with it, um, but the problem is if you ever get, if you ever take like a Wusthof or a really expensive high-end chef knife and you let it get into the dishwasher, you're, you're dulling that knife in a way that it's really hard to bring it back, so... And I'm not going to blame Miss Molly for putting my knife in the dishwasher a few times, but I'm not going to not. Uh oh, can she hear me? I'm not going to not blame her. She's she's not far away, so I don't want her to know. Yeah, I better bring her flowers. Though. Well, she is cooking dinner. She's making uh, almond flour homemade pizza. And she knows that I really go nuts for this pizza. That's it's prosciutto, figs, uh, pancetta and arugula with goat cheese it is incredible i mean it is the most decadent pizza and the almond flour is actually really good i know people go almond flour how can that no almond flour tastes great almond flour is more expensive and richer really in taste than wheat flour but it's more expensive so it's used in cooking much less it's used in restaurants certainly a whole lot less so, uh, Michael, thanks for sending me the Kakimoto. I'll check out Kakimoto knives when I get a chance. Um, by the way, I was sent a, I got to tell you guys something. I was sent a knife by a friend of mine, uh, Casey. I don't know how many of you know 
uh, Casey, who is a, a radio host out in uh, South Bend, Indiana. You can check him out, Casey, that host. And he actually sent me a really cool, and it is like a combat knife. It's not a, yeah, but it's pretty amazing. So you can check out his stuff. Casey Hendrickson is his name, and he's a host out in uh, South Bend, Indiana. And I'm trying to see if I can get his website for you for those. Uh, you know what? I'll post a photo. He makes some of his own knives. So uh, if you actually go to his coupon code BUCK, will get you uh, a really nice discount. If you go to Casey Hendrickson, asdefense.com. Um, so there you go, asdefense.com. I've got some pretty, and they're, they're, look, they're not a sponsor, but he sent me a free knife, and uh, I told him I'd give him a shout-out. It's a really nice knife. So Casey Hendrickson, shields high to you, uh, or knife's high in this case. Let's go to uh, Daniel writes, Hey, Buck, proud podcast listener and love your show. Well, Daniel, love your taste in podcasts. You're an amazing man. Speaking of Kanye's visit to the White House, I believe it did indeed mean something important in one sense. As a teen, I was enthralled by the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he became an idol of mine. I believe that seeing a prominent black man embrace a white president in friendship and love would have brought MLK to tears of joy. And I would like to nominate Kanye's statement about playing 4D chess like in Minority Report to hand him the quote of the year, Shields High, Daniel. Daniel, I, I hear you. I, I thought it was a really special thing that went on with Kanye and Trump there. And I think people that were trying to just tear the whole thing down and make it seem like it was exploiting Kanye or it was so terrible. I just think that's kind of disgraceful. I, I don't, I don't see that at all. I think that how much more clear can the affection between those two men in that moment be in the oval office? He's president of the United States. I, I think no matter who you are, that's a special moment. I don't care what the circumstances of your, uh, in previous political positions or any of that stuff. Sean writes, Hey, Buck, I was listening to the live stream on iHeart and was thinking about what the media was saying about Kanye West being mentally unstable. So he's not allowed to have an opinion, but Christine Blasey Ford, who is in counseling for mental health issues, has to be listened to and believed. Just trying to point out another double standard. Shields high. Love the show. Love the history deep dives. Looking forward to their return. Well, Sean, thank you. And uh, Shields high to you. And, um, yeah, I, I I really think that any time the media starts to go after somebody's previous mental health treatment in order to discredit their political opinions, um, that that is opening a really dangerous door. And I think it's incredibly underhanded. And, and you know, Don Lemon, I don't think we had this audio. I can't remember if he tweeted it or say it, said it. But, you know, Don Lemon at CNN wants some attention this week, and he's really going after Kanye hard. And he said something about how Kanye's mother would be rolling over in her grave uh, over this issue. And, you know, Kanye's mother passed away a few years ago. You don't bring someone's dead parent into a political discussion. You, you just don't do it. You just don't do it. And I, I think that people have completely abandoned any sense of, of decency or honor when it comes to, look, if you want to make fun of Kanye, make fun of Kanye. He doesn't care. You know, he's a super, super wealthy, famous uh, impresario and hip-hop superstar, I'm sure he's going to be just fine, even if people say mean things about him. But you don't bring people's parents into it. You know, there are just some rules. I don't know. I feel like they don't teach honor anymore in school. Or you can't really teach honor, but they don't instill honor in people in schools anymore. You know, it, our, our culture has an honor deficit 
where we don't view it as one of the most important virtues for any human being at any point in their life. Are you honorable? Can you say that out loud about yourself and know that it's true? That matters so much. And I, I, especially in the media these days, it's just the snakes, the snakes that seem to be uh, in prominent roles and always seem to be getting ahead. And, And it's a shame. I'd much rather have the media led by people who act with, I'm not saying there aren't any, I mean, there are a number of really fantastic people I'm, I'm pretty good friends with who are big voices in the media who I think are very honorable, but I know I'm getting off on a rant. Brian writes, heard you talking about the short shrift Melania gets from the left in the press. Maybe if she did it the wrong way and was an illegal alien, they'd be more accepting of her. Brian. Well, Brian, they do have a separate set of rules for illegals. As we know, they do decide that illegal aliens get special privileges. So my friend, you may be onto something. We got more roll call. Speaking of onto something, coming up. Like soft butter on warm toast. Time to spread some freedom coast to coast. It's time for roll call. Our roll call continues because it's Friday. Freedom Hut Friends Friday. That's maybe too much alliteration, but. And that's kind of what we've had today with all the different guests we've had and lots of roll call. And, you know, I, I, want, I want to make Fridays, I guess, freestyle to bring it to bring it all back the way we used to do things. Uh, we have Michael who writes in Buck, please comment on CNN's Jake Tapper. Boo. Mob of white panelists worrying about Kanye betraying the hip hop community. Does Bill Crystal think they are talking about Easter bunnies? I don't really get that, but uh, I, I didn't see that panel. I'm sure it was a clown show because the Jake Tapper panel is generally a, a bunch of sanctimonious jerks. Uh, male, female, doesn't matter. A lot, lot of jerks on that panel. So, yeah, I, I, I haven't seen that one, but I will check it out. Uh, hold on here. Um, Hannah writes, top three Kanye songs. Jesus Walks, Lights, Diamonds Are Forever, You're Welcome. John? Mike, what do we think of that? Do we agree? Good selection. All right. John's saying all right. Mike, you got an opinion on this? Oh, he's with the ladies. Gosh, you know, you know, he's got a, he's got a show to run. He's got phone numbers to get, though, too. I know how it is. Uh, we have David who writes, here we go. Buck, just watch the speech you gave in California on Facebook Live. Uh, I can't figure out how to share it. Can't find it on YouTube. That needs to go viral. Very well done, sir. Shields high, Dave. Well, Dave, thank you so much. And let me say, any of you who want to see it, uh, it is on Facebook. I've live streamed it, and so it sits on Facebook. Um, I might actually go and, you know what would be a smart thing to do? Since I think I will pin it to the top of the page. So if you go to facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, you can watch this speech I gave in California. The audio is not perfect. I took this with my phone. But uh, I think you will. I think you will enjoy the speech. I really do. I think you'll you'll um, appreciate what I had to say. And given that it was the week of the uh, the Kavanaugh the fight being in full swing, there was definitely uh, uh, man. There was a, there was a lot to talk about. Uh, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on. Um, I'll see if I can get that posted up top uh, because I think people. You know, also, for those of you who like to have speakers come to events, hey, I'm uh, I, something else that I do. I know people think of me as a radio host and a TV guy, but 
I'm, I can show up and give a speech, get the crowd fired up. It's how I roll. Okay, uh, we have... Oh, I had another... Fa- I had another... Oh, there we go. Robin writes, Another thought. I'm really done with the supposed woke media perpetuating the idea that men are not allowed to express strong emotion and women must be out of control in an elevator or they hate women. Um, well, okay, Robin. Thank you very much for writing in. Philip writes, Buck, I've been glued to your coverage of the Kavanaugh nomination. Excellent, excellent insights. Wanted to pass along two awesome resources you might consider for your show. Ken Starr has released his excellent book on the Clintons, Contempt. Also, Jocko Willink just released The Dichotomy of Leadership. Jocko is a force of nature. All conservatives should be aware of him. Thanks for being the smartest guy in radio, Philip. Well, Philip, thank you very much. Uh, we had Ken Starr on my show. Uh, we had Ken Starr on my show on Rising already. It was very interesting. And uh, we, I would love to have Jocko on. In fact, Producer Mike, can we, can we ask Jocko if he wants to come on radio next week? Just, you know, whenever he will, we'll, we'll make it happen for him. Whenever Jocko wants to come on, we'll, we'll get him on. Uh, so there you go. Let's, let's make that happen. Um, Rick writes, Buck, so after the Kavanaugh thing wraps up, people are thinking that finally we'll have five reliable conservative justices. My theory is that Roberts will quietly morph into the new Kennedy. He's already shown that when it matters, with enough pressure, he'll flip. Uh, whoever got him on there will never work will work him over again, rather. Not trying to be a downer. BK will be great, but the big one will be when RBG gives up and retires. Exciting times. Rick, I agree with you. I think that Kavanaugh is not nearly as much of a uh, an arch-conservative as a lot of people have been led to believe. I just don't believe it. Uh, I, I don't think that it's accurate. So that's a, a thing that I want everyone to remember. Uh, I do think he's more of a Roberts-type justice where he's going to try judicial minimalism uh, from the bench. Now, we're, we're generally, as conservatives, because we're trying to conserve, right, we're, we're okay with judicial minimalism, but just understand that that means that he probably won't be in a position to give uh, and do things that conservatives really want. Um, all right. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Vicky writes, I was just reading a summary of Mark Judge's book. Uh, thanks for all you do to educate us. Shields high. Yeah, Vicky, I haven't had a chance to read Mark Judge's book, but um, I, I don't even know anything about it. So I'll have to look into it. And then to close, Michael writes, OSS, Shields high. Awesome. Thank you, Michael. Perfect way to end the show. Uh, Appreciate you writing in. And uh, that's going to be it for this episode, my friends. Please do spread the word far and wide. Tell people to download the podcast. Apple Podcasts, The Buck Sexton Show. Shields high.